All right, thanks, Tavia. I appreciate the introduction and also for the invitation to give this webinar. Um, this is a topic that I'm super excited to present on. Uh, this is totally new material, so if you haven't um, listened, I mean, there's no repetition of a previous workshop or anything. We've got a lot of great stuff. Um, and people are still joining, so as they're joining, let me just give a few details about how I how to ask questions and how I'll answer. If you have a question at any time, you can always just uh, add it to the chat, um, send it to everyone in the chat, and I will I will glance at the chat periodically. Uh, also, throughout the presentation, I'll pause and ask if people have questions, and then you can you can uh, uh, speak your questions or. Um, otherwise like uh, ask your question and then also at the end but I'm not the sort of person who wants to postpone everything until the end because sometimes a question is relevant in a moment all right uh, I'm assuming everybody can hear me okay and that uh, you can see my screen and that we're all good to go if there are any problems just let me know through the chime um, but let's get going how trends in API documentation differ from other tech com trends and I'm, uh, I'm broadcasting here from, or whatever, recording from Santa Clara, California. Um, <clears throat> so let me start out with a little scenario. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of the year, I was kind of, I was on a vacation and I was sitting around thinking, I wanna write a post about trends because everybody talks about trends at the turn of the year, people are interested in trends, they wanna know kind of what's going on in terms of trends. And, I started to do some research. Um, I started to to read up on uh, what had been said about trends previously, uh, because this is this is really what um, what you have to do, right? In order to say anything interesting about trends, you need to uh, find out what's already been said about trends. So I started reading a couple of uh, trends reports. One. A really comprehensive census uh, by Saul Carliner and, and another um, that surveyed like 600 people across the the industry and really had a, a in-depth profile on all facets of the technical writer's life. And another really comprehensive uh, survey from Scott Abel, a, a benchmarking survey that he does periodically, uh, and this also had a lot of respondents, 600 plus respondents, many different organizations. Um, and, and also covering a lot of different aspects of the technical writer's life um, with kind of a more of an emphasis on on content management, XML, uh, kind of multi-channel publishing, chatbots, that kind of stuff as well. Um, but I felt as I was reading and kind of consuming these, as I was reading and consuming these uh, these reports, these surveys, I felt that uh, they weren't <clears throat> they weren't addressing the whole scenario. They were sort of leaving out a huge trend that I felt was undeniable, that was really interesting and super prevalent. Um, primarily, that trend is is the one that is kind of developing within the Docsys Code API Doc kind of communities, the, the people who who had sort of embraced this new tool set, who were more embedded uh, with engineering type documentation and, and teams. Um, and I felt like there were a lot of questions that just weren't covered. You know, I wanted to know how technical writers integrated with 
agile teams, with scrum teams. I wanted to know, you know, who, who handled reference documentation, engineers or others. I wanted to know what tools they were using, because I certainly didn't believe that that uh, that 30 percent of the people were using FrameMaker or that 76 percent of the people were, were writing and publishing in in Word or that 30 percent were using help authoring tools, hats. Um, and and certainly that that only 21 percent were using Markdown seemed odd to me, at least within this specific community. So I decided to create my own survey and I focused this survey only on people writing documentation for developers or engineers. Uh, this is a huge sort of segmentation of the survey that the other surveys didn't have. The other surveys were focusing on just the tech comm community as a whole, but I just wanted to know what are the trends for those who are focusing on developer docs? I brainstormed around 50 questions, most of them multiple choice. It would take about 10 minutes to complete. So this was not like a very quick survey, right? This is, this is 10 minutes of time is a long time for a survey. And I promoted it on my blog, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, one of the shortcomings of, of uh, <clears throat> one of the other surveys is that it was heavily promoted um, within the STC community, and so it was skewed towards that demographic. Uh, I wanted a wider demographic, and um, although I would have been happy for STC, Write the Docs, and other organizations to promote my survey, for the most part, um, I just promoted it on my blog and social media channels. So here's some overall participant statistics. Um, there were 406 people who actually completed the survey. And what does that mean? That means they got down to the end and clicked submit. <clears throat> uh, actually, 855 people started the survey and 337 of them dropped out because it was probably too long, too many questions or whatever. They just didn't finish. And another 123 uh, were terminated through branching. The, the initial question of the survey was, do you write documentation primarily for engineers or developers? If if uh, that's not the case, then the, the survey terminated. So uh, 400 people is a lot, and it took them about nine minutes on average to get through. And you can see the countries represented, 36% US, 15% India, Germany, Great Britain, Canada, and so forth. Uh, but it's pretty good representation uh, where, <clears throat> where like 65% of the people are from outside the US. So uh, <clears throat> now... Survey results are public. You can just go to this uh, short link and you can find them. And I just want to add a little note here that, you know, processing, organizing, analyzing, interpreting data is hard, even when you have multiple choice answers. I'm definitely not an expert at this. I know that academics have extremely uh, good training and rigor and analysis. But I, I feel that if you have 400 plus responses, it's kind of hard to ignore a trending answer. Um, and so that's what I'm hoping for here is that I have enough responses so that I can feel comfortable with at least the standout trends. Um, and with 50 questions, yeah, a few of them uh, were a little vague and kind of uh, didn't, didn't provide a lot of insight. But for the most part, many of them did. Okay, so... 
there are around five different groups of uh, questions. I, I didn't group these like this in the survey, but uh, as I was trying to make sense of the 50 questions, they sort of fall within these five categories, tools, outputs, processes, API, and profile. And we're gonna go through each of these and I'm gonna walk through most of the questions um, and, and then share my insights on the emerging picture that's, that's resulted. <clears throat> By the way, with each of these sections, I will I will pause to see if there are any questions. And before I jump in, does anybody have any questions? Just feel free to send it into the chime and I'll read it and then I answer, answer it. If not, we will keep going here. <clears throat> All right, tools. Now this is actually my most, this is what I was most interested in, to be honest, because this is where I looked at, at, at you know, FrameMaker Word, are people really using that? I didn't see that, right? So the question was, what is your primary authoring tool for creating docs? And around 22% of the people are using static site generators such as Hugo, Jekyll, Gatsby, Sphinx, uh, MakeDocs, DocuSaurus, um, uh, and so on. There's a whole category. If you go to staticgen.com, you'll see uh, many static site generators, but Really, to be honest, only these top, you know, four, five are, are actually used. Um, as far as other competing answers here, uh, you can see that wikis are still quite popular with 14% of people using wikis and around 8% using hats. Uh, primarily, the hat they're using is Flare. I actually didn't see hardly any other responses in the free form. And still some XML, like 11%. Uh, That's a pretty sizable chunk, many of them using Oxygen XML. So in order to sort of qualify this, because you know when you, when you try to shove people into different categories of a response, sometimes they don't fit well. So I wanted to follow this up with a freeform answer and just have them list what specific tools are they using. And then I, I tallied up the, the sort of keyword instances. And this is where things started to really open up for me, to be honest. Uh, I started to, to get a better understanding of the tools and realized that people use more than one tool. People in their freeform answer, they wouldn't just say, oh, I'm using Flare. They would be. They would say things like, oh, I'm using Hugo uh, for this and I'm using Redoc for that and I'm also publishing on Confluence for this and maybe I have uh, Readme's read me uh, docs on GitHub, you know, so it's like a smattering of different tools. And um, and I'm going to talk more about that, but, but you can kind of see the different instances here. And even though, for example, 46 people mentioned Confluence in the tools they're using, again, remember that uh, this could be one of many tools. It's not as if all their docs are in Confluence um, for, for their outputs. All right, a second question, if you, or third, if you write content in a text editor, what editor do you mainly use? And Visual Studio Code, Atom Editor, and Notepad++ seem to be the most popular ones. Um, these, these editors are basically your interface for working with the docs. You're not necessarily working with a proprietary help authoring tools uh, interface and editor. What's the most common source format you're using in your docs? Markdown uh, ranked as 37%, followed by HTML and XML at 
somebody's asking if the, if I'll share the slide deck. Uh, let me just point that out. Yes, you can just go to this URL that you see at the top. I'd rather be writing.com slash learn API doc slides devdoctrends.html or you can go to my my blog and in the latest post I have a link to the slides. Uh, but yeah, definitely these slides are available. Now, uh, I'm going to interpret these here in a minute. I'm just sort of laying out these common tool trends. One more question. Do you follow a docs as code approach where you treat documentation similar to how developers treat code? And I wanted to define this, right? This means you, you're writing docs in a text editor like Visual Studio Code. You're managing them with, with something like Git. You're uh, generating them, assembling them out with a static site generator, building from the server. And 55% of the people said yes. And 22% said somewhat, right? Because you could do some of these, but not all. So I thought this was really interesting. And this, was, this, this is sort of this trend that I felt was completely missed in these other surveys. Almost, almost no mention of, of Docs' code in this, this totally different workflow. What kind, of gra what kind of software do you use for graphics? Uh, most people just use Snagit. Uh, but there were interesting responses in the other category, right? Which 20% of people don't use uh, these other solutions. They use draw.io, a lot of people using that, uh, especially for diagrams, right? And this comes back to the idea that, you know, graphics, there's a lot of different types of graphics. Maybe you're, maybe you're actually editing a photograph and you use Photoshop, or maybe you're creating a diagram and you use Draw.io, or maybe you're creating a vector a diagram and you use Illustrator, you know, so, um, or, or maybe it's just a basic screenshot and you use Snagit. Um, surprisingly, a lot of people also use PowerPoint and just the built-in screenshot tools in, in Mac. All right, uh, what platform do you use to host and publish your docs, especially to provide continuous integration and delivery, which is often abbreviated as CI slash CD? And uh, without going into too many too much detail here, uh, basically this means that when you when you push your documentation into some branch and version control, there are processes on the server that will kick off a build and then deploy that into some production space. And most of the people are just using their company's own web servers or infrastructure for this. Um, although some others are popular like GitHub Pages, GitLab, uh, by far people are piggybacking on their own engineering infrastructure, which tends to make a lot of sense. Finally, just wanted to know how many people were using Mac versus Windows, and it was around 53 to 40, not a huge difference, but Mac is still pretty prevalent, and I was interested in this because so many people, at least in the Bay Area, who are developers primarily use Macs, and I wanted to know how common they, the writers also used Macs. Finally, uh, do you, how do you manage your content? Almost invariably, people manage it through version control, such as Git, right? Had some other options, SharePoint, a content management system, component content management system. People aren't using this. They're using version control uh, through Git. So here are my reflections. <clears throat> um, tool categories. Uh, the problem with most tool categories and surveys is that we try to identify like a single tool and realize that that's not the case. Uh, and this is this accounts for why some tools like Microsoft Word and Confluence rank so highly. It's not that everybody's using Microsoft Word to publish their docs. 
thankfully. Uh, really, it means that Word is one of the tools used for one of their documentation scenarios. And most commonly, commonly that might be a, a collaborative workflow early on. You know, somebody in my work just sent me a Word doc of content they had prepared, right? And we're, we will probably collaborate a little bit in that Word file before I migrate the content out into another system. And for internal docs, by far Confluence, it was super popular, or other wikis, right? Um, so if you have internal docs versus external docs, you probably have different tools. Um, and then if you're building and assembling your content, you might use a static site generator like Hugo or Jekyll. Um, if you are uh, just editing your content, you're choosing an editor, that could be Visual Studio Code, it could be Atom, it could be Notepad++. You know, so what exactly is the tool people are using? It gets gets really fuzzy there, right? It's like you're not really using Visual Studio Code as your tool. It's just an editor. Um, and then people are managing their content with Git. Again, is that a tool? Is Git a tool? Because, you know, you're using it to manage and, and share and collaborate with content. And then finally, you have different tools to publish and deploy content, uh, things like Netlify or GitHub Pages or your company's build system. So trying to, trying to identify what tool people primarily use is really uh, not straightforward by any means. Um, it's, it's a combination of things. And that, that brings me to some other reflections. A lot of people... They're working in Markdown and they treat it kind of like Dita is treated as some kind of industry standard that can be used in many different tools and which is supported by, by many different systems. You know, if you're working in Dita, whether you're whether you're using Oxygen XML, Epic Editor or uh, X, some other XML editor, it doesn't really matter because the format is what matters. And same with Markdown. People could be editing on on GitHub in Markdown. They could be writing Markdown in, uh, in a text editor on their file. They could have some other system that supports Markdown. It's sort of like the standard that's shared uh, and supported and by so many tools that can process and manipulate it. Um, another uh, epiphany is that this model where we had a single tool for authoring, review, and publishing is sort of gone. Um, I think a lot of help authoring tools provided this, this uh, everything in one tool kind of package where you know the tool that you use to both author content and build out your output and publish it and do reviews is all kind of the same the same thing um the same help authoring tool that's not the case anymore if you go to this uh jamstack examples link that i have here jamstack is is kind of a, a description for the the suite of tools that are hooked together um j is javascript and a is api and m is markdown that's what jam stands for and uh they're used in many different combinations and you have like five or six tools all used together working for uh, working on different parts of of the authoring and publishing solution and then finally um i realized that some people don't even use uh, hardly any editor they're they're developers or others working primarily strictly in code they're just making code annotations so they're working in intellij idea which is a java ide or some other ide and and that's that's it they're they're not even you know building this out they're just like uh, code annotations are, are the beginning and the end of what they do you know so it's a really different space um it's really 
Interesting. Um, I've also got a post that I kind of dive into even more about tools. And uh, if you want to learn more about this, click this link here from the slides or just search for this um, <clears throat> on my site. But basically, we've we've sort of uh, gone in a lot of different directions with tools in the last 50, 60 years, from PDF to web, XML, wikis, CCMSs, Docs code, and they all have different strengths. Um, definitely in the space of developer docs, Docs code um, has a particular benefit, and that that benefit is to unlock collaboration with developers because you're meeting them in the same tool space uh, as what they're accustomed to. Um, so if that is like a benefit you want and you're, you want to collaborate more with developers, it makes sense. If you're not collaborating with developers, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You may have other needs that make more sense. Maybe you're sharing content across multiple parts of the enterprise. Well, then you'd probably want a CCMS, or if you're doing heavy amounts of translation and reuse with uh, documentation that has a lot of variants and outputs and versions and, and languages, you know, then then XML makes sense and so forth. Okay, so the emerging picture from this survey about tools is that writers will often use Confluence Word Google Docs for early content development. Then they will assemble and build their docs using a static site generator, such as Hugo, Jekyll, Gatsby, or MakeDocs. And they'll work in Visual Studio Code as the editor. They will publish their docs using a docs code model with Git to trigger uh, some kind of continuous integration model, usually deploying that output on the company's own infrastructure. And there's also a decent amount of usage of wikis, Oxygen XML, and Madcap Flare. Um, a lot of this emerging picture is, is sort of clarified in the comments because with every every single question on my survey, I always include an other option that lets people kind of fill in the blanks. I never try to force people into a, making a, a, a selection that doesn't fit. And so uh, <clears throat> uh, that's been very helpful. Okay, so that's it for the tools section. Let me just glance at the questions to see if anybody actually has a question or they're just kind of sharing their, their tips. Also, now one one other tool that I find a little bit curious here. A lot of people mentioned um, Redoc as a tool, and and here again, I wasn't really sure um, how to how to interpret this because there's a whole category of tools that process an an open API description. You know, is that a, is that an authoring tool or is that just a, a publishing tool, a rendering tool? It wasn't clear, so I kind of uh, I, I moved a lot of that into the API section. Let's see, any other questions? Um, okay, people talking about uh, different ways. Okay, why is Flare used in the process or how? Well, uh, there's a lot of a lot of people using Flare. I think I counted, you know, in the free form question, what specific tool are you using? You know, a lot, there were a lot of, of Flare users. And I think it's because a technical writer often works on conceptual tutorial content not reference content. And uh, by reference content, I mean a list of your endpoints or your classes and the parameters and such. But in the narrative uh, conceptual space where you're describing how to achieve an end, you need kind of a, you need a tool that you can author in, that you can organize things in, you know, you have more robust needs. And so maybe, maybe that's used more. Um, all right, 
but uh, yeah, beyond that, I don't know. Um, okay, did no respondent use X metal? So I grouped I grouped the XML editing tools into one category: oxygen XML, X metal, and uh, I don't know other XML editing tools. So if people decided to list their specific tool in the uh, in the free form, then then they would have listed X metal. I I don't think. Very many people are using X-Metal. I mean, it was ba mainly Oxygen XML. It, it, I counted up trends and sort of tallied them up back. Let me go back to this. Um, there we go. The, I, I tallied up trends and only counted ones that were like seven instances or higher. But there were a ton of like one-off tools. Uh, just one, two people, three people. <clears throat> Probably not worth, you know, surfacing here. Okay, let's uh, keep going to outputs. <clears throat> All right. What's a primary output format? Well, web content, which is no surprise, but PDF accounted for 23% of the output, which surprised me because I thought PDF was basically going extinct, particularly in this space, but it does not appear to be. Um, do you create video tutorials or screencasts? No, by 57% of the people, but yes, by 28%. Again, this sort of astounded me because I was really curious whether developers wanted or liked video tutorials. Um, so 28% of the people is, is actually a huge amount for, for this category of content. So why, why do some people not create the video tutorials? If you're not creating them, why not? Well, they have various reasons, but I sum summarize them in a more readable way at the bottom. Uh, main reasons for not creating video, no bandwidth, the tech constantly changes, and nobody's asked us for it. So there, there's a lot of different reasons. <clears throat> um, and, and you know, many people have other reasons, as you can see in the the 11.59% there at the end. Uh, I've learned with these surveys that if you leave everything open-ended, it's a nightmare to try to, like, process. So <laughs> as much as possible, I try to have categories that the answers fit into. <clears throat> Do you, did you play a significant role in developing and evolving your company's publishing solution. Like maybe you designed the site or the workflows, or you figured out all the strategies for reuse or created the style sheets. 53% of the people said yes, and 26% a little bit. So this is, this is kind of an important point too, because in the API doc space, websites and the output and the appearance of content is extremely important to, uh, to, to engender confidence um, and trust and to sell your product. And so this means many technical writers are playing like UX roles to develop a lot of this website content. Do your docs plug into a larger developer portal? And the developer portal is kind of like a doc portal, right? You've got a one entry point for a lot for documentation for a lot of different products. You maybe have a, a unified or federated search, some navigation across products. Anyway, you're bringing all this information under one roof. And yes, 56% of the people are publishing into uh, a developer portal. Um, I think that increases the complexity of your publishing and and introduces a lot of like considerations. The whole information architecture and and the search and the findability become important. Do you localize your docs? Seventy three percent no, but that does mean that 
around 25% are, right? How many languages? One to three, 14%, four plus, 10%. So here, this is probably where tools like Flare, Oxygen XML come into play, right? If you're, if you're localizing, it's kind of a nightmare in the static site generator world. There's not, there aren't good workflows for it. Um, so that could account for some usage there. Do you usually generate out PDFs and actually distribute them to your audience? Uh, no, 57%, but yes, 30%, right? This, this is sort of a check on the earlier question. I just really want to know if they're, if they're actually generating PDFs and, and, they, and they are 30% of the people are, um, okay. So the emerging picture is that writers are primarily creating web content that fits into a larger developer portal. They are shaping and building both the publishing solution and the portal and Localization, video tutorials, and PDF, they aren't overwhelmingly produced, but they do constitute about a quarter of the output. All right, let me check and see some of the questions. Uh, all right, can anyone share video screencasts for API tutorials? What tools are used for this? Uh, that's a great question because I think developer tool, developer videos are different. Uh, and when I've created them in the past, it was like a different workflow. You know, you open up a code editor and then you just start typing. It can be kind of difficult. And like, do people really want to see you type out 20 lines of code? Uh, and sometimes, you know, they don't really do a whole lot. They log a message to the console. So it's a different flow. Uh, I wish I could share some. The ones I created were internal uh, for a different company. Um, and somebody's asking for a sample script. You know, I think a great site is like lynda.com or some of these other websites that that uh, that cover programming. Because uh, like the same dynamics for how you would learn programming are, uh, and the sites like lynda.com and others um, that show video will, will be good models, I think. Um, all right, somebody's asking, do any writers use Swagger? We're going to get to that. Can a wiki-based site be considered a developer portal? Of course, right? A developer portal is basically um, a site that collects a lot of different docs that, that is sort of where you go into to get information. However, a developer portal usually also has a, a developer login where they go in and get API keys or make other kinds of like uh, configurations. Maybe they create an, a, a quote app that they then use as part of their authentication solution. All right, uh, but there's a lot of, actually a lot of talk about developer portals. If you search on Twitter with the hashtag dev portal, I think you find a lot of interesting discussion. Okay, uh, if there are no more questions, we will proceed to processes. How do you interact with engineering scrum teams? And uh, for the most part, people, People are on a scrum team, either either they're a full fledged member, meaning, you know, their tasks are counted as points and they sort of uh, fit right into the workflow. And 33 percent have some kind of limited capacity. Maybe they're not required to demo things. They don't have to go to every stand up. They don't have points, but they're still part of the scrum team. And some people have their own documentation scrum teams. But the very the very fact that people are following scrum, I think, is interesting because scrum is is how most of the engineers tend to operate. And if you're in this same space, it makes sense to follow a similar rhythm. How do you review your docs before releasing them? Uh, most people use the same review tools that engineers use to review software, which I find pretty interesting. Um, 
you know, these code review tools are used by around 25% of the people. But people also review things through in-person meetings and collaborative tools like Google Docs or Quip. Does your doc publishing solution have CI/CD? Uh, this again is a redundant question. I just wanted to really make sure that people actually uh, meant what they said earlier. And yes, around 48% of the people are publishing their docs through this continuous integration deployment. You know, they, they push their content to a certain branch in Git. There's a listener that, you know, detects a change, kicks off a process on a server, pushes the docs out to production. It's really the best thing about the whole docs as code workflow. You don't have to sit there waiting for things to build. You don't have to tr manually transfer files. And you, and you can just keep updating things with a few keystrokes uh, that are already in production. All right, do you outsource any docs to an offshore authoring agency? No, 93%. Now, this is an interesting question, in part because so much of the developer docs uh, have internal IP that people don't want to expose, right? If you're creating an API, um, especially if it's like an internal one, and you ship that off to a country that doesn't respect intellectual property, right? You, you lose a lot um, to your product there. So maybe that's coming into play here. Do you have a style guide that your team uses to standardize terminology and conventions about style, grammar, and syntax? Surprisingly, 76% of people do. And I find that surprising because I think a lot of us think that oh, developers or others who are in the space just kind of write things in a haphazard way. But no, actually people do follow a convention. And with this question, I did, I did say that, that even if you embrace some other company's, other company's style guide, that still counts, right? Let's say you follow the Microsoft manual style, even in spirit, even if nobody's read it, that would still count. Uh, when you collaborate with engineers, how do the engineers contribute? Well, 31% said that the engineers submit pull requests. Um, which is a way that they, you interact and get to kind of merge content. But uh, an equal number, basically add content to a wiki like Quip or Confluence or Google Docs or something, and then you sort of work on it there. And I think this workflow works best, at least for me. I uh, We have Quip at my workplace, and it's pretty much like Salesforce's version of Google Docs. It works extremely well for developing content adding comments, resolving them, showing changes. And once you've got the document to a certain shape where it's agreed upon, then I move it into another tool like Jekyll. I think a lot of people do that, but, but pull requests are also very common. All right, so the emerging picture here, writers participate on scrum teams, sometimes in a limited capacity. They review docs using the same tools engineers use to review code. Engineers contribute through pull requests or through wikis. The publishing process is streamlined through CI/CD, and most content is generated within the company rather than outsourced. Let's look and see what the questions are here. Uh, all right. How do you make your dev portal searchable? Right. Um, there are there are actually a lot of search tools. Algolia is a very popular one. It's used in, it's used by commercial tools, even Polygo, uh, I believe Document 360 and others use it, have integrated into their tools. I've got it integrated in my I'd rather be writing.com site. Uh, but there's another one called SwiftType. You know, these are third party sites that 
that uh, you kind of push your content into and they they search it. And what's nice about about them is that you can integrate really complex faceted filtering and so forth based on attributes. So you can do a lot. Uh, All right. Any others is the style guide for general documentation and dev docs the same? Oh, this is a great question. And, and maybe this is one I didn't really clarify, but yeah, there's a whole category of style guides that are actually just for the APIs themselves. And these are style guides that developers follow. Things like how should we case our parameters or um, uh, I don't know, what's the, the, I actually have a whole section on my site about like designing APIs uh, that are, that's kind of a write up and notes from one of these books I was reading on this. Um, and there's a lot to consider there. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to that. But yeah, apart from developer style guides, there's there could be you know style guides for an API and its documentation because they have unique considerations. Um, there's there's a site that I'll try to point to. I think oftentimes the developer API design guide and the style guide for API docs is a sort of uh, merged in the same. Um, Search for API style book and you'll probably land on uh, the API handyman site where he's been collecting these. He's got around 20 or so and he comments and compares them. Okay, let's move on to the API category. API stands for application programming interface. And the question is, does the documentation you work on usually involve some kind of API? Yes, by 81% of the people. Now, why did I ask this question? Well, developer documentation doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be working on an API, right? There's all kinds of developer docs. Uh, Think about like chaos engineering or or some kind of uh, server analysis or other tools that uh, command lines and so forth that you work on doesn't necessarily need to involve an API, but almost invariably 80% of the time you're working on some kind of API in developer docs. So uh, this means that if you use the term API documentation synonymously with developer documentation, it's probably okay. What's the most common type of API you work with? By far REST APIs are leading the pack with 56% of the, of the, uh, responses here. But native library APIs, and by this I mean Java APIs, C++ APIs, the sort of APIs that you that you incorporate in locally into your project through like a jar file or header files, uh, around 17% of the time, right? And then a smattering of other types of APIs. There's really a lot of different things here. But REST is a good focus point. Now, if you're creating REST API documentation, do you use the OpenAPI specification? This is an industry standard way of describing your API following conventions that if you uh, produce an OpenAPI document, it can be rendered by a lot of different tools. And most people, 47% of people are following that standard. So that's good. How do you render this OpenAPI spec into documentation? Most of the people use the free version of Swagger called Swagger UI. Um, And some other people use Redoc and others use internally built tools. 
Redoc is is one of the more stylish kind of outputs, and I know they're building a larger solution too, uh, a more comprehensive one than a standalone kind of open API parser and, and renderer. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are just using the free version of Swagger. Um, if you want more information about open API, I have a lot on my, my API course. If you go to my site and click API documentation, you'll find all kinds of info and tutorials about it, and as well as on the general web. Now, here's the big question that people always ask. Do you create, you primarily create the open API spec manually, you know, opening up in a text editor and, and cracking away at it, or do you auto-generate it from annotations in the code? And the responses are split. About 22% uh, manually do it, 23% auto-generate it. Uh, some people do both, right? Maybe you manually create it first, then you transition to code annotations, and then a lot of people just aren't using it. All right. Who generates the open API spec at your company? Is this something engineers do or is this something the tech writers do? Primarily, it's the engineers, 36% of the time. So if you're working in API docs you and you wonder, hmm, am I responsible for creating the open API spec and doing all this? Probably not. <laughs> you may just be editing it to make sure it aligns with that design style guide. Now, what about native library APIs, your Java, your C++, uh, reference docs for these. Who creates that reference content? Primarily engineers, same with the open API content. What are the most common programming languages you need to know within your role with docs? This is another hugely popular question, right? So many different starting points. JavaScript seems to be the most popular, followed by Java and then Python. And then after that, it's the C languages. And then uh, beyond that, it's just a smattering of other things. So if you're trying to figure out where do I start, JavaScript is a good starting point, and then Java, and then Python. Those are, are, are popular. And I think that aligns with a lot of what I've seen as well. Although I think C++ is, is going to be more popular because in part, uh, C-based languages fit more with the Internet of Things space where... Um, devices can't really support more robust platforms. Which of the following new or trending technologies are you documenting or will likely be documenting this year? Uh, the main answers, machine learning, big data, artificial intelligence or AI, data privacy, security, and internet of things or IOT. Um, you know, this is just sort of a, a I mean, we hear a lot about blockchain and neural networks and, you know, uh, I don't know, new currencies. Uh, those don't seem to be <clears throat> trending with, within this space. So the emerging picture is that almost invariably developer documentation involves working with an API and it's usually a REST API. And when documenting the REST API, most people are using the open API spec. Both the writers and the engineers collaborate as they generate out docs using Swagger UI or a custom parser. And the most important languages to know are JavaScript, Java, and Python. All right, let's pause here to see what kind of questions. Wow, nobody's asked a question in this section. I'm wondering why. Uh, maybe it's not as interesting or not as, not as many gray areas. But uh, anyway, I mean, this is... When you're navigating the space as a technical writer, um, 
it helps to know what the trends are, you know, like what tools to use. There are, there are dozens of different ways to take your open API spec and, and build an output. In fact, there are multiple formats, RAML, uh, API blueprint, uh, most people have adopted the open API, but there are so many questions, you know, what, what do you focus on to, to just ramp up your technical skill set? You know, how should you be collaborating or should you be collaborating? Who's going to do the reference material? You know, these are often fuzzy areas when you're a tech writer in this space. So I'm hoping to sort of clarify what are the trends that can give you sort of guidelines for what you would be comfortable and confident in doing. All right, let's move on to the last section, the profile. This is just sort of demographics. Oh, somebody asks, how do you hide some things from the open API spec and filter in docs? Yeah, um, I can't remember if the open API has like a private attribute. I kind of don't think so, but maybe that was requested by some. Um, but I believe you can, uh, somebody says you can use tags. Um yeah, tags definitely allow you to group different endpoints, but uh, as far as like completely removing, for example, private endpoints, I believe that's often done when you generate the open API file. Oh, somebody even has X private true. Great. Thanks. All right. Who is primarily responsible to produce the open API spec, the engineering or the docs team? Uh, that was one of the questions, and it's mostly the engineers who do it, although many people collaborate. Many, many writers collaborate with engineers. I mean, often the engineers will create it, but then the writer will go in and edit the descriptions and make sure it makes sense. So that's a sort of collaboration. But in, in many API shops, um, you know, exactly how you collaborate becomes a question because if, if all the content, the descriptions are stored in the code annotations, it's going to be harder for the writer to jump in there. You know, developers are often wary about that. They're like, uh, do I want a writer messing in my code? Um, and if you're a writer, you're like, well, I want more control over the content. I'd rather create it myself, right? Have it in a separate tool, a separate word file. But then you've got problems about documentation drift and so on. So there's a lot of considerations here, trade-offs. Uh, you have to figure out what works best for your scenario. All right, now I'm not going to go slide by slide through this one. <clears throat> I just wanted to get <clears throat> some, some basics here. The age range, it was quite evenly distributed. I thought maybe, oh, this will skew on the younger side, right? That's not the case. And partly it's not the case because in order to be proficient in the API doc space, you kind of need a lot of, um, you need some experience, right? Um, it's hard to kind of gather up that experience without without <clears throat> uh, distributing that age range. So even if you're I'm 44, right? So I constantly look at these age distributions and think, oh, I'm trending out. I'm like aging out of the the primary kind of target space. But that's not true. Uh, the, if you look at the ranges, people are all over the spectrum. It's it's not it's not as if you have to be 25 to 35 in order to thrive in this space. And same with gender. It's not super male dominated like the programming space. I think. Uh, Stack Overflow has done gender surveys about programming, and it's alarming how male-dominated and the bro culture uh, that, that predominates in this space. I mean, I think I've seen uh, statistics of like 90% men in programming, right? But no, it's much more balanced in the tech doc space. It's almost 50-50. 
And, and these were optional questions, right? Some people chose not to say, or they didn't identify as either male or female, some, uh, another option and so forth. All right. I asked people which company they were from. Again, this was optional. I, I just wanted to ensure that I didn't have like 40 people all from the same company. Um, there were some, uh, I think there were nine people from Google who took the survey, for which I'm really thankful uh, that it was kind of on their radar. Only around seven, six or seven people from Amazon took it, which I found a little bit disheartening, given that there are like 300 technical writers and many of them working in engineering. Um Anyway, uh, there were some other companies like Salesforce had four or five and so forth. But by and large, uh, the the respondents were from many different companies, uh, at least 200 plus. Uh, and many people maybe just didn't want to put their company there. Maybe they didn't want to uh, for whatever reason. I asked people what their most recent college degree was in because I was curious. Is this like super heavily influenced by engineers and engineering? No, not not the case. 31% of the people working in this space have humanities degrees and 15% have tech comm degrees. Um, <clears throat> I believe this was a radio button, not a checkbox. So I don't think people duplicated that. Um, and then 28% of the people have engineering degrees. So, you know, if you're a creative writing uh, major English major like me, you know, there's, it's not as if you're going to be drowning in this space. There's lots of, uh, humanities, humanities rooted people. Are you satisfied with the job? Uh, 38% of people agree. 37% strongly agree. And part of the reason I asked this is because in, um, Saul Carliner's survey, he asked about job satisfaction and, and he found about the same thing. In fact, I think, uh, I think he found 72% or so, um, people reporting that they're satisfied with their job and here's around 70, 75. So really close. Um, but this is a, this is a good one because like in this space, you may think, oh, it's like so much learning of, of different difficult tech and constantly feel like you're drowning and, you know, surrounded by engineers who might have, uh, um, alpha attitudes and so forth. But no, it's, it's not a bad space to be in at all. And the fact that you have 75% of the people who are, you know, pretty satisfied speaks highly of, of this path and the career. Now, what's your team size? 34% of people are lone writers and 31% of the people work in small teams of two to four writers and 12% of people work in teams of five to seven writers. So I find this interesting as well because I think there's a huge trend of um, kind of uh, one writer being allocated to a few different um, agile scrum teams and and not having this huge centralized doc group, um, which I think is, is important because uh, when you consider things like component content management systems and enterprise authoring and so forth. Um, those concerns tend to span uh, much larger doc groups and, and go across boundaries. And I don't think that's nearly as prevalent in this space. You, you often have little, um, little groups of developing development teams that include a writer, um, often working independently of each other. I asked people what their employee type was. 86% of the people are working full-time in their role. It's not as if there's a bunch of contractors or anything. Which uh, professional group do people have the most affinity towards? 39% of the people feel the most affinity towards Write the Docs. 31% of the people don't feel affinity towards any group. And 14% feel affinity towards STC. 
Um, now the Write the Docs affinity, uh, if somebody joins Write the Docs Slack, that's probably a huge um, community they can feel a part of, whereas STC doesn't necessarily have that, but there are other channels as for, for other groups. Uh, how much time do you spend learning, just kind of keeping up? About 28% of the people spend about a half hour a day, 27% spend 20 minutes, and 14% spend around 60 minutes. So those are the general demographics. And then I asked, this is the last question. What are the biggest challenges you face in working with developer documentation? The main answers were technical know-how, you know, just understanding the technologies to the degree that you need to in order to competently document them. Uh, that's kind of one of the big ones. And then having the, the time to create, you know, having the bandwidth to to ramp up and then create all the needed deliverables. So technical know-how and time are huge, right? Um, another big one was, was getting reviews from the engineers, right? This is not an easy problem to solve. Um, getting engineers to read lengthy documentation and provide comments, uh, we're still trying to figure out the best, <laughs> the best approach there. And then another challenge is how do you address both novice and advanced users? Constantly told by engineers at Ope, you know, users will understand X, you know, but then there are lots of users who don't understand X and trying to figure out how you address that in the docs is challenging. So, and that's not necessarily unique to dev docs. I would, I would think this is probably common in other spaces as well. All right. Uh, so let's see if there are any questions here. <clears throat> Fascinating breakdown, especially the team size. Good to know there are other solo operators out there. Yep. In the most affinity towards, you didn't have IEEE PCS as an option. Uh, now, I did have some other options. I don't think I said IEEE PCS, but I did have an other. And uh, if uh, there weren't that many people selecting or writing in IEEE. Um, I'm on the Agile Scrum team with tech writing responsibilities without editing duties that come my way. All right, just a comment or with other ed editing duties. So yeah, uh, I think the editor role is, is is very common, right? Like developers might be writing content, reference content, other tutorials, and you'll probably play a large role in editing and making that content make sense. I spent yesterday going through probably a 500 word doc that an engineer had written, and I had questions and issues about almost every line of it, right? Um, all right, the size and intricacy of the system can also be a challenge yeah yeah like uh it's not just the technology but like the scope and uh and uh, how fragile some of these things are i have one one of my projects uh, it takes like four hours to get through the tutorial and if you if you mess up in one part the whole thing collapses uh, somebody says this is really validating um <clears throat> finally i started working as a technical writing guild it started a technical writing guild at my work due to lack of technical writers. Are technical writing guilds common? You know, the word guild isn't so common in the workspace, but there are definitely many uh, technical writing mm, groups. I don't really know how to what the what the right term is, but um, <clears throat> for example, um, in my workplace, we have uh, like group of writers, I think we call them doc ninjas who go and help other people with writing needs. But then there are also, you know, tech writer groups, and then there are other like business writing hubs and so forth. All right. Another question is API usability, a field tech writers would jump into, or are they limited to API docs? 
No, I, I don't think API usability is its is substantial enough to be its own specialization, but you definitely could be a power player in that space. And let me just point out to uh, let me point out this this article I was talking about with API usability. If you come into my site, go to API documentation, and uh, <clears throat> you can just let me find the article here. Usability. Oh, okay. Giving feedback on API design and usability. This is a great article you want to definitely check out. It's a summary, basically, of the design of web APIs by Arnaud Laray, and there's also a podcast I did with him. But it jumps into like what to look for in terms of API usability. There are there are a lot of things here. You know, I I, I mentioned consistency in like the casing with parameters, but there's also like patterns around endpoint names. Um, uh, the data formats given in responses, uh, industry conventions around uh, with a variety of things. And he goes into it in depth in there. So anyway, I encourage you to check that out. And while I'm, while I'm here, let me just point out, somebody asked for my slides. So if you go to idratherbewriting.com, you click this top post webinar, uh, you can click a link to the slides. They're just kind of online HTML slides. All right, we are winding down. Any other last questions that you want to ask? You can also uh, come on to the uh, phone line or whatever um, if, if you want to, in addition to just chiming them. Um, I guess I'd just like to wrap up and say that I felt this survey uh, was definitely necessary. I don't think there's been another TechCom survey that really... Uh, highlights and describes all these practices, even the API doc surveys, which, by the way, um, is another great survey around API docs uh, that you can check out in, if you read Introduction to REST API, I quote a lot of it, but it's uh, the State of API 2019 report from SmartBear. Highly informative, you know, but it's focused on engineers and open API, right? It doesn't really capture the full uh, the many dimensions of a documentation role with API groups. Um, but yeah, and 400 people to respond is awesome. I found, I, I got 400 people to respond within like two months and a week or so, which is pretty incredible because some of these other surveys, um, that gathered 600 respondents didn't have this more granular segmentation of just focusing on those writing dev docs and they were open for like, I don't know, eight months to a year. So I feel like, uh, I've got a vehicle to find information and, um, <clears throat> definitely, uh, if I perceive like some kind of lack of information, I'll, I'll, I'll create more surveys for it. Okay. Uh, thanks again. If you want more details, like I said, the survey is open. If you want to dive into it, let's say you're an academic and you want to like crunch data, I would love to have your input, but, uh, otherwise thank you for listening. And, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Tom Johnson and I'd rather be writing.com as my blog. And thanks for coming.